0: A podcast from Premiere Unbelievable.
1: Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Matters of Life and Death, back after our extended Christmas New Year break. Um, but it's good to be recording some fresh episodes again. We hope you enjoyed those classic Uh, rewinds from the archive over the Christmas break. Um, Today, we are talking about a brand new topic that we haven't really touched much on in this podcast yet, which is egg freezing. Uh, We'll go into a bit more detail about how that works if people aren't familiar with what egg freezing is. Um, But we wanted to talk about it primarily because it's something which is becoming more and more common, particularly here in the UK and in much of the Western world. Um, the, the, The numbers have almost doubled from 2019 to 2021. Um, still low numbers, but um approaching five thousand cycles a year uh, of women in the u k choosing to to freeze their eggs and before we we go on to discuss this about the ethics, what's driving this, how we should feel as Christians, you wanted to stay up front. we're very aware that once again that we are two men talking about uh, an issue which is particularly affects women um though not exclusively, and it's also something that's very sensitive. Um, You know, this touches on this conversation will touch on issues around infertility, parenthood, uh, singleness, um, and it might well be uh, a sensitive, painful topic for some people listening or for those you love. So just to say at the front, we're aware of that. We're, We're trying to approach this as much as possible with sensitivity, with graciousness. We don't claim to have all the answers and we wouldn't certainly want to be kind of patronizing and telling women what to do we're trying to open a conversation and as always we'd be really interested to hear feedback and emails and comments from from you guys the listeners
2: yeah it's um i you know it's something we've talked about before but i i think i'm painfully aware that the whole thing about infertility is still a a deeply painful topic which many christian churches and christian communities don't really engage with i think they they can be quite unintentionally incredibly insensitive to both to single people who would desperately long to have a child and to married couples who've been trying to have a child unsuccessfully for many years. And, and so, you know, I think there's absolutely no doubt that the reality that infertility is a kind of prolonged grief and, and pain. And not just for women but for men as well many men long to have the experience of fatherhood and you know again we recognize don't we we're both of us in a very privileged position we've got our own children who mean uh, unbelievable amounts to us and and in my case grandchildren so so this is a really sensitive topic but it's it's a, again fascinating to me because it's where kind of modern technology and biomedical science collides with with human biology Mm. and the reason i think we can't ignore it not that
1: people have been maybe but i don't think you hear much about it in kind of church circles is because it is it is exploding i mean the numbers are astonishing you know in 2013 there were 569 um, women who who froze their their eggs um that had shot up to 2,000 by 2018. So in just five years, it increased by 240%. And that number is still going up by 2021. It was up to 4000. And I'm sure two years on, it's probably well over 5000 now. So so these are obviously small numbers in comparison to the total number of women who have who, who have kind of natural conception each year in the UK. But it's clearly becoming it's no longer an entirely kind of micro niche fringe issue, is it?
2: Not at all. And of course, worldwide, uh, there are many other countries which are way ahead of the UK, quotes, yes. in terms of numbers. And uh, and interestingly, uh, you know, there's been some publicity about big companies, particularly big tech companies and other high profile um, financial services companies and so on, who have been providing or offering egg freezing to pay for the cost of egg freezing for their female employees.
1: Yeah, and we're definitely going to come back to the kind of ethics of how we think through offering egg freezing as a kind of health benefit or perk um, a bit later on. But it's it's kind of unavoidable that this is becoming kind of incre- increasingly mainstream. I mean, there was a story I stumbled across from a few years ago in the Daily Mail about how some facility clinics have started um, advertising their services by kind of wine and cheese or Prosecco evenings, where they gather women, you know, in their 20s and 30s um and talk about you know have you frozen your eggs have you thought about it why haven't you frozen your eggs Uh, and there's kind of discussions by the advertising regulator uh here in the uk about whether this is manipulative whether this is irresponsible advertising you know increasingly you'll see influencers on instagram and facebook and other social media platforms talking quite openly about their own experience of egg freezing or recommending it so there's kind of an an increasing awareness among kind of policymakers and experts that this is a topic which is is now kind of coming into the mainstream and quote unquote ordinary women are being kind of confronted with, the, with this question. Have you frozen your eggs? If not, why not? Um, in a way that maybe
2: they weren't five, even five years ago. Absolutely. And of course, behind all this, there are huge commercial opportunities, quotes, pressures, uh, because like the rest of pro- fertility services, this is potentially a massive uh, commercial uh, positive because the costs of going through egg sharing and then the there are annual costs for for maintaining eggs in a in a, a frozen state, you know, potentially there are there's big money here and, and, and so it becomes clouded, doesn't it? You've got these very complex mix of commercial, social, um, and personal emotional forces.
1: Yeah, I mean the the figures clearly vary from clinic to clinic, but a kind of rough rule of thumb I, I found online was that it can cost in the region of about four to five thousand pounds for the initial freezing, uh which includes all the kind of medication you need to take, but then there are annual storage costs. So if if you keep your eggs for the full 10 years that the law currently permits that could cost another three to four thousand pounds so it's not these are not small sums of money um either for the person paying them or for the the clinic reaping that in before we kind of dive into the 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 ethics of this it's probably worth us pausing and it's doing a quick kind of scientific refresher of what egg freezing is how it works why why it came to be for those who aren't kind of up to date on on this it all kind of came out of obviously IVF, which we talked about this podcast before, the kind of the fact that you can now fertilize um, eggs with sperm outside the human body and then kind of reimplant them into the womb. But as far as I understand, egg freezing was first developed as an option for women who were undergoing chemotherapy, which might kind of render them unable to produce eggs. So before they started the chemotherapy, they were given the chance: Do you want to freeze and save some eggs that that could be
2: reimplanted later? Is that right? Yeah, Tim. I'm just sort of painfully reminded this is a sort of daddy where do babies come from We we're sort of recapitulating a conversation <laughs> that we might well, I don't have, think we have to go
1: back, back to the, the birds and the bees quite that far i think people are familiar oh, right, with the, concept oh, right. of the sperm and an egg which <laughs> okay, have to be combined it, to turn into a human
2: being <laughs> yeah well so, so what it turns out and, and and it really is quite mind-boggling is that what is now understood is that in the female fetus uh as early as about 10 12 weeks of gestation you know when when the the, the it's just become a, a fetus from an embryo technically you change from being an embryo to a fetus at eight weeks so at 12 weeks you're you know you're what a few millimeters in length and yet within that female fetus there are eggs uh there are ovaries sorry there are there are there are primitive ovaries And those primitive ovaries are already creating eggs. So in other words, this little child-to-be is already at one level preparing to be a mother at 12 weeks of gestation. I mean, isn't that extraordinary? And uh, some estimates are that by birth you have one to two million eggs in the baby girl's ovaries, all sitting there um but then what happens is the numbers steadily drop, so by the time of puberty, they've dropped to a few hundred thousand again, I think these figures are all uh open to uh you know some some scientific uncertainty and so on um and uh they then. The number of eggs, so you have this massive oversupply, but every month it's dropping by several thousand it seems um, so every at every monthly cycle, one egg uh, is matured and and is then lost in the in the normal menstrual cycle. but a lot of other hundreds of other eggs, if not thousands of other eggs, then die at each menstrual cycle, and so therefore the supply of eggs is steadily reducing uh, as, as the woman goes through her life until by the time you get into the 40s, um, the, the so-called uh, reserve, ovarian reserve, um, is pretty much uh, exhausted. And, and certainly by the time you get to 45, pretty well, uh, the large majority of women, have, have, have uh, all the eggs have, have died.
1: And so it's that kind of dwindling fertility over
2: time that is
1: driving what has kind of become known as social egg freezing. So so egg freezing was initially offered for medical reasons for women who were kind of were about to become infertile effectively or their 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 supply of eggs was going to be destroyed through other medical treatment mm-hmm. but but from 2000 in the uk and possibly early, I suspect earlier in the states and other parts of the world. It's also been offered privately as a, as a for social reasons. So these are the predominantly what women are choosing it are choosing to freeze their eggs at some point in their twenties and thirties because they they think they would like children in the future, um, but they are not ready or not able to have children right now. And so what they're doing is kind of making a, a gamble that actually. By the time I'm ready or in the right circumstances or have the right partner or have the right finances, whatever it is, I might be 40, 42, 38, at which point I'm aware that the chances of me conceiving naturally are low and dropping. But if I actually do IVF when I'm 42 using eggs that were donated in my 20s or 30, early 30s, I've significantly increased my capacity or my likelihood of, of, of having a child
2: that's right that, so this is the sort of ticking fertility time bomb isn't it that is is often described and which i know for for some women is 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 a sort of almost a terrible sort of reality that of, of every month every year ticking by so so biologically the peak time for fertility is actually around sort of early 20s uh that that's when Uh, the the safest time the most likely time to get pregnant and also the safest biologically time for having babies and that as you get older and particularly you know beyond 30 and then beyond 35 um both your chance of becoming pregnant is uh, getting less but also there are increasing risks to the mother increasing risks um to the baby so um if you, as you say, if you freeze uh, a, a young egg, uh, you increase, in theory, you increase, therefore, the chance of you could then have IVF at a later age, uh, probably with some hormonal support, um, or you know, almost inevitably inevitable with some hormonal support, and then um, increase your chance of having uh, a baby, and 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 this is a real issue. I mean, as you, as you said earlier, it's being discussed on my social influencers. There's a kind of companies are offering it. Some companies are offering it, and and you know, speaking personally and trying to protect confidentiality, but I've actually been approached by on, on several different occasions by single Christian women, young women that I know, who would like to talk privately about the ethics of all this and, and what do we think of this as a christian uh and it could be for instance that a relative is offering to pay for it and uh and then they're left in this kind of uh double bind you know am i being irresponsible by not going for egg freezing uh, or, or is this something that is really outside uh what should i trust the lord Uh, that if he wants me to have babies he can provide provide them much as in the scriptures
1: yeah and and, you know talking about the the kind of optimum age is being in the early 20s in many parts of the world and i think back in 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 the past that actually was also the time that most women chose to have children or did have children how much choice was involved is a different question uh, you know you know in in some parts of the world um, you know i think i saw in afghanistan the average age is still about 19 whereas you know it, in some of the 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 richer more developed countries it's it's up in kind of 31 32 um and, and there's fascinating data that that shows that actually the the richer you are even within a a western nation um the the more you know the higher educated you are Um, if you have a college degree, the the average age of first birth creeps up and up and up.
2: Yeah, that's right. And um, so I think there's some interesting data, isn't there, looking at maternal age at first birth in different counties across the USA?
1: That's right. Yeah. We'll put a link to this in the description. It's a really interesting um, piece of data research by the New York Times back a few, few years ago now in 2018, but they found that when they looked at, they broke down the data across the USA by county and they found the counties with the oldest first-time mothers were number one, San Francisco County, California, and number two, Manhattan, New York, where the average age uh, was close to 32 years old for women having their first child. So um, whereas um, yeah, for in some of the... the um, uh, poorer parts of of the south for example uh lower educated um the average age of women coming forward for first birth is something like twenty one twenty two um, so a huge difference in terms of you know just think about how your life unfolds as a woman if you have your if you start having a family at twenty one or you start having a family at thirty one and these are obviously averages you know so if the average in manhattan is thirty one that means there are an awful lot of women having they're not starting families until they're thirty five 38 40 um uh, and i think it's fascinating to see how the, the this disparity has grown i mean obviously there's lots of other social factors going on and you know availability of abortion and birth control and that varies dramatically from state to state as we know in the u.s but i think it's fascinating to see how it's you can see this trend between kind of Uh, less developed or more developed countries, but also even within kind of rich first world countries, as it were, there is this huge disparity in terms of uh, women from different social classes when when they start, start having families. And And I can understand, like it's not, you don't have to be a genius to figure out what's going on, right? More women in places like San Francisco or Manhattan are going to be working in high powered kind of white collar professional careers, whereby taking five six seven years out or kind of dropping down to part-time is going to significantly impede them kind of progressing in their career it's going to take them out of the workplace at a time when their male kind of competitors are surging ahead and getting promotions um, and just fundamentally in the kind of social context of these kind of liberal metropolitan coastal blue state kind of democrat enclaves um, when you're in your mid-20s or even mid-30s a lot of women aren't kind of socialized or encouraged to think about starting a family. That seems like something you do down the line when you're settled and married. But, you know, the average 32 year old in San Francisco County uh, is probably still, you know, living her life, enjoying her, her, her freedoms, you know, may well not have found a kind of long term life partner, let alone got married. And so even aside from the kind of employment pressures, it's just socially and culturally not the kind of environment that is conducive to saying, do you know what, I'm going to going to have a child.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and just, just as a side issue, but I do think it's a really important point. I think this is a key factor in the whole abortion debate, um, because w- all the evidence is, is that many, many women in our societies across the world, increasingly, want to have regular sexual intercourse from 16 to 18 years onwards. And yet, you know, being sexually active is part of a normal activity and yet they don't want to have a baby until they're in their thirties. And so, but you therefore have, you know, 12, 14, 15 years when people want to be sexually active, but they don't want to have a child. And this is why public health planners say we have to have liberal abortion availability simply because those are the choices quotes. Those are the lifestyle choices that people are making. So, so this has all kinds of knock on effects and yet again, we don't want to, you know. There's a kind of right-wing conservative response. Well, of course, you know this is this is all because, you know, to put it crudely, women have come out of the kitchen and the and the nursery and had started doing man's work. And if they only would got went back into the kitchens and and got on with their biological functions, everything would be fine.
1: Yeah, and you know. As you say, this this issue of kind of maternal age um, has kind of become a minor current in the kind of culture war, especially in the US, but I think everywhere across the Western world, in which kind of right wing voices are saying, you know, this is a devastating consequence of feminism and the kind of social revolutions we saw in the second half of the 20th century. It's completely upended the social order. Um, what I find fascinating is 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 the as part of this story the The New York Times went and kind of spoke to obstetricians in these in places like San Francisco you know quote it feels like no one here has babies under thirty five anymore, but they also went and found obstetricians in Star County Hospital in Rio Grande City, Texas, where the average age of first birth is twenty two and and the the obstetrician there says very few of her pregnant patients were married, and she can count on two hands the number of pregnancies that were planned. Um, however, most can't afford birth control, and there is no abortion provider nearby. And so, when you look at the kind of heartland of these of the kind of right wing place, I'm not I'm not really seeing much evidence of the kind of traditional Christian family ethic here. Yes, women are having children at the quote unquote right age, but why? It's not because they are you know dutiful housewives who've settled down with their husbands and are are kind of raising children in that 1950s paradigm. It's because um, they can't afford birth control. And uh, abortion is culturally and socially unacceptable and there are no providers within driving distance. Um, but none of these people are actually living the kind of quote-unquote 1950s idealised lifestyle that the kind of right-wing populist arguments would say is is the ideal and is is what these kind of coastal liberal elites in Manhattan and San Francisco have rejected.
2: Yeah. So these, these are desperately complex issues, aren't they? So it, as so often in the kind of topics we talk about, you can see this sort of, Constellation of biological, scientific, technological social theological philosophical they all sort of merge I mean, if we just go back to this question of egg freezing, you know it's something I find myself very conflicted about because i i could I could make arguments either way I could make arguments to say uh, this i this whole idea concept between egg freezing is is really a denial of cre- the creation order of the way that in his sovereign will god created humanity our human biology and that wisdom is to learn to live within the limits of uh, 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 of the way that he's made us uh you know and, and i'm very drawn to those kind of arguments and the importance of creation order and so on and yet I can hear the other argument that says um, we there are so many positive benefits of universal female education of uh, allowing you know all the positive uh, all the benefits to to women to society as a whole of ensuring that women have tertiary education if they're capable that they delay. Child rearing. And also that older mothers make better mothers. Uh and, and and therefore, uh, isn't this some form of insurance? Uh we say that it's perfectly, you know, reasonable to have fire insurance and we insure our homes and our cars against disasters. So what's the difference? You're you're ensuring uh your fertility. You may not meet the right person until you're in your late thirties. Isn't this a wise and reasonable thing to do?
1: Hmm. And I think you know to to continue that, that I agree with it. I can see both sides of the argument, and the and the positive case, I think, can be put quite simply, which is that if if we as Christians have made our peace with IVF, which I know some Christians haven't, but I you know and we've discussed there's a variety of views, but lots of Christians can you know think that there is it is an ethical thing to do, um, for those who who might be in, infertile, then. What it would be so wrong with doing i v f with eggs that were you know harvested a decade ago as opposed to two months ago, like what is the significant ethical difference between using eggs that that were done that were that were harvested at a point when they're much more likely to have a higher success rate uh, and so as you say, fundamentally I don't while we have a, clearly have a kind of biological peak window around you say around your early twenties, I don't think we need to feel constrained or that god thinks it's wrong for us to have kids after the age of 22 i mean if that was the case women would be infertile from the age of 23 but that clearly isn't the case there's a there's a kind of bell curve your fertility rises then it falls but it doesn't drop off entirely and speaking personally you know i think the point about kind of emotional maturity is is key you know women may well be uh physically uh, or biologically uh, most um, are kind of ready to to, par- to begin parenting at 21. But I think most women would feel same to me, which is that I was much ready, more readier at 31 than I was at 21 to become a dad. And and in fact, you know, you know as I said before, we adopted, so this question isn't actually relevant to us in terms of biologically, but actually my wife and I never considered, uh, didn't really think about, didn't at all feel ready to have children until we were in our late 20s which is quite common for our kind of peer group and probably the consequence of a lot of socialization and cultural things. But actually, you know, we got married at 23, 24, but it took five or six years before we felt kind of emotionally and circumstantially and financially ready. And I think that's a really common story. And so it, it, feel, it would feel inappropriate and, and frankly, disingenuous for me to start telling women they need to stop and undo 60 years of kind of cultural socialization, whatever else, and start having kids at 21 again, like God intended, because that's fundamentally not
2: the kind of the way I've ordered my own life. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think, again, if you come back to a sort of basic biblical perspective on all this, this this concept of living with wisdom, you know, that that what living with wisdom is, is, is not having kind of mapped out some kind of ideal template of what Mm. a life should be like. It's, it's making responsible decisions before God in what we do with our, our lives and our bodies and everything else. But at the same time, recognizing that those decisions have consequences. So, so if we choose to delay fertility to your thirties as, as, you know so many people do and and to be honest I did too I was 30 when I got married I was 35 uh when the first baby was born um that has certain consequences it's it has positive consequences you're you're have some more life wisdom some more maturity some more experience to offer as a parent it has negative consequences you get tired you uh, you're in the middle of peak professional careers, whereas otherwise you might have been just at the beginning. Uh, it's a different experience from having children in your early 20s, uh, mm. as we know some families who did. And and it's not necessarily that one is right and one is wrong. Mm. But the question is, which for me is wise?
1: Yeah. And, you know, I, I think the idea of the kind of bell curve is a kind of a helpful visual metaphor, not only for how the science works, but also because, you know, technically you can conceive from from puberty right but i think everyone christians would agree that it's like it's intensely unwise for a 12 or 13 year old girl to to actively seek to become pregnant and start a family and likewise you can technically conceive until you're into your mid 40s i personally think that is also unwise mostly because it's you know pursuing that is, is likely to be quite a heartbreaking process because it's almost never going to work but i think even if you were confident you could succeed starting biological family at 45, has, has increasing numbers of negative consequences. But within that, then the middle of the bell curve, there is a spectrum. And yes, it might peak biologically at 21, but it might peak emotionally at 35. And, and as you say, I think God has granted us, I, I, I'm tentatively suggesting God has granted us a degree of freedom of choice, and said, you know, men and women are able to have start families at a a range of ages there are some extreme ends where i think we would agree it's not wise but i think most christians are given the freedom to say act with your god-given wisdom what is the right time for you and and that will, as you say will differ dramatically from from couple to couple Um, and i think it's unhelpful for either pastors or even kind of political leaders to start to say because they're mostly men to say women must have you know, must open themselves up to having children from this age because fundamentally, the, the the costs of pregnancy are borne almost entirely by the female half of a partner. Sure, once a child is born, ideally the the parents should be would be sharing some of the load. But you know, to say you know women at twenty one need to be dropping out of the workplace, stopping their studies. Um, must have already found their life partner um, and then prepared to spend upwards of five to eight years, you know, doing repeated rounds of pregnancy. It's an easy thing for a man in his 40s or 50s to say, isn't it? When they're not the one having to bear the consequence and the cost of of that ethical framework.
0: Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I've got a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time, and some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help us keep these resources and podcasts like Ask N.T. Write Anything and Unbelievable Going Strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash matters of life and death. That's premierinsight.org forward slash matters of life and death. Thank you. You're listening to Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable.
2: So it's interesting, isn't it? So I'm just if if we try to sort of map this out on the there are there are several factors here there is the individual freedom which we're given as as Christians and or as couples to to choose wisely about fertility and and all those kinds of choices and then there is the question to which we are happy to use invasive technology mm. um, so i think the 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 comparison with IVF is very <clears throat> interesting because you're right that you know way back uh, several decades ago when I was first wrestling with this question of uh, is it ethical for Christians particularly those who want to take a conservative theological position and biblically based position is it ethical to for Christians to use IVF and I, and after a, a certain amount of heart searching, discussion with others, reading and so on, research, I came to the conclusion that although there were all kinds of problems and, and challenges and difficulties and dangers in going down the IVF route, I didn't I couldn't say, no, this is wrong. This is this is something that is unacceptable for Christians, provided you used your own sperm and your own eggs. I, I did feel that that there was a line between embryo or sperm or egg donation from somebody else versus using your own sperm and eggs and i think i there's an analogy there with egg freezing so i can i say from a christian point of view no this is unethical this is wrong this is against the creation order i find that very difficult to do but i do i certainly wouldn't be recommending it to a christian single person woman who was you know asking would this be a wise thing to do hmm. I,
1: I think when it comes to that particular kind of pastoral issue of you know a single christian woman approaches you um, and says you know I, I i'm currently single i'd love to have kids one day the butterfly is ticking should i freeze eggs i think there's an additional layer of complexity there because um while I'm not intrinsically opposed to uh, single Christians, as we mentioned before in the context of of surrogacy and adoption, I'm not necessarily opposed to single Christians starting families by themselves. I think we should still work within the framework that the, the kind of expectation or the normative understanding of how we form a kind of Christian family unit is with a father and a mother. And so, what this single Christian woman is saying is, I'm going to freeze eggs now in the expectation that in the next before my ten year is like timeline is up, I will meet and marry a, a Christian man. Um, and then we will then do IVF together. And that's really a decision that she can't make without the this as yet unknown husband's consent and, and agreement. And so it's really beginning a kind of form of fertility treatment with only half of the, of the kind of consent and discussion and reflection and, and prayer and wisdom required. That's, I think, something that jumps out for me as potentially problematic. If you are doing it as a single person, with the expectation that when, by the time you come to kind of use your frozen eggs, you'll be doing it as a couple, did has did your future husband want to do this? Is that how they wanted to go about it? What do they feel about IVF? You know, those are some of the questions I'd want to ask.
2: Yeah, I I suppose the counter argument is it's simply I am keeping my options open. I am not saying yes, we are going to do IVF, but it's simply there on the table as an option. And and it's interestingly that interesting that the way that uh, I can think of several women have framed it to me is, is more in a sort of negative thing. Am I being irresponsible Hmm. in not freezing my eggs? Is this, you know, this option is now available to me. Yes. It's expensive. Yes. It's invasive. Yes. It has all kinds of uncertainties, but am I being irresponsible? And it is interesting, isn't it? That, that, that is a recurring theme that what, when, there's, when it's not a technological option, you know, go back yeah. 30 years, it's not an option. Don't think about it. There's, you don't, it's not a dilemma. Once yeah. technology provides the possibility, now I need a reason to say no.
1: Yeah. And I find that really insidious and unwelcome. And it reminds me of previous conversations we've had around things like, um, you know, new forms of testing that are now possible on on kind of infants in the womb. Um, once which can then create a whole new heap of ethical dilemmas You know, once you now know in a way that was never possible that your child has Down syndrome when they're only 26 weeks old inside the womb. You know, What do you do about that? Well, that's a dilemma that previous generations didn't have to struggle with. I think there is this unwelcome implication from advance of new technology that once something has become as possible, the default is to utilise it, when actually... Th- christians and all people i think should feel free to say well do you know what i don't i don't want to go there it's not something i've ever been interested in it's not something i i i don't feel the need to kind of formulate a good reason why i'm not freezing my eggs the reason is the same reasons why for countless thousands of years in the past women haven't frozen their eggs it, okay for them it was also impossible but i shouldn't just because it is now become possible doesn't mean i should have to come up with a complex you know well-worked thought through reason why i'm going to say no thank you but but there is this increasing pressure from, you see that in the advertising and in the kind of the way it is framed in some of the kind of public conversation. Why wouldn't you freeze your eggs? Well, there are lots of reasons. It's an painful, you know, women often say it's quite unpleasant process having these daily hormone injections to stimulate ovulation. And then it creates all these dilemmas about when you're ticking clock and it's expensive. Like there are loads of reasons why you shouldn't have them. And I think we should push back against this idea that it becomes kind of, so normalized that you need to have a good reason Good reason not to.
2: Yeah, that's right. And, and I think one of the recurring points I come to in all these discussions about ethics is that what is often underplayed is that basically what we're creating is different visions of the future here. You know, so so here are two different visions of the future in this particular thing. One vision of the future is where the state and businesses and everyone else normalizes egg freezing. This is simply part of normal living. Uh, every... Do it you on
1: your 21st birthday, maybe your yeah, parents right. it.
2: You get the best eggs, you know, have a party, you know, whatever. <laughs> Everybody does it. It's normalized. And then you are free to, uh, you know, women can participate. They can delay uh, pairing off. They can delay uh having babies and so on, knowing that they've got this insurance policy. That's one vision of the future. And another vision of the future is where there's a wholesale change in social attitudes uh, where uh, businesses, educational, everything changes in order to allow women to have babies at an earlier age without jeopardising uh their employment prospects their education their future uh opportunities and so on there's we we change the structures of society uh, to take account of biology rather than we use technology to change biology i mean is is that just naive idealistic um you know or or is that a genuine vision of a future
1: um i think it's both <laughs> I think it is naive and idealistic, but I think it's also the future that we should be striving to build, ri- irrespective. I, yeah. I, I, I agree with you that, um, you know, I don't want to live in a world, personally, where egg freezing and these more increasingly kind of extreme interventions to kind of remould biological fertility and kind of human created processes that have been laid down, you know, since since the time began and since God invented us. Where where I don't want to live in a world where it becomes completely accepted that we will use every technological power at our ability to supersede those and to reshape those around our own desires, but I don't want to go back to a world, the unwelcome world before fertility treatment, where women were you know married off at twenty one and then basically spent their their peak years at home raising endless numbers of children while the man went out and and exercised his economic freedom and agency to to work a job and build things and create businesses and you know, I don't want to lose all the gains of the feminist revolution and allowing women full access to the marketplace and to um, the business world. Uh, But, and therefore, how do you have the best of both worlds? Well, I think, as you say, it, it could only look like a completely remodeled kind of economic social contract, where if women want to, step out of off the kind of career ladder in their 20s to, to raise children at their biological peak, that doesn't come with kind of lifelong consequences. And, you know, the data suggests that we actually can correlate kind of lifetime earnings aren't as high for women who have children at younger ages. So this is not irrational why women are doing this in many cases. It's rational because they will suffer long term employment financial consequences. And that is me, the thing that we need to be targeting and trying to think of clever policies to to reshape how our business and cultural life works rather than saying, well, we can just think we can just chuck ten thousand pounds to the clinic and dip some eggs in liquid nitrogen and bish bash bosh. We have we've, we've squared that circle. That doesn't seem to me to be a good way to go about it. All that said, not that I therefore believe that anyone who ever freezes the race has done something wrong, because I can think of circumstances where it might be a why a wise choice.
2: And it's interesting, isn't it, politically, if you then take that option it's interesting that it it neither fits into the traditional left-wing paradigm or to the traditional right-wing paradigm that's taking the best of the left wing saying the best of the you know the opportunities uh, allowing and encouraging and reinforcing women as equal partners in society and in employment and in academic whilst at the same time trying to protect the right wing concern for families for traditional mm. uh, you know ways of being human it 's um, almost
1: like following the way of Jesus doesn 't neatly map onto our flawed human <laughs> political divides, and potentially the the Christian ethics doesn't n- neatly fit into our existing right and left wing boxes
2: it absolutely and and for me the sadness is is that it seems so often Christian ethical discourse does uh, divide into uh, you know, the, these, it seems prior political commitments then mm. uh, prevent us from thinking outside the box. And, and, you know, this is where, again, what we need is real innovation. We need, we need employment, uh, educational, academic innovation, which preserves the best, uh, preserves the creation order, pr- allows women to be genuinely uh, have have genuine options, whilst um, exploring all the wonderful opportunities which which technology offers.
1: And this is a bit of a side note, but this is why I am so reluctant to kind of follow some of the more kind of doom laden um, warnings from some kind of Christian leaders that you know Western society is doomed and we need to kind of retreat in on ourselves to protect the faith and preserve ourselves as a faithful remnant because fundamentally the kind of social wide kind of cultural evolution we're talking about that would enable women to to have the best of both worlds that needs to be modeled and inspired and led by socially active churches by Christians saying you know this is the kind of employment practices we want to see. And you know what? I'm a Christian business owner and I'm going to model that in my own business and hope it catches. And if we yeah. fall back in on ourselves, we have no chance of, of um, we might be able to preserve our particular ethical beliefs about created order and stuff, but we'll have no chance of being salt and light in that city on the hill that draws that lifts the vision of our of our kind of lost and confused secular society and says there is a better way, there is a more inspiring way to square that circle rather than just throwing money and test tubes at the problem.
2: Yeah. And and, and interestingly, there are some wonderful examples of that in previous eras of Christian business people. Um thinking of people like the Cadbury's and, and others who, mm. out of their real concern to improve the lots of, of, of workers in their factories and, uh, you know, had in- inspiring and innovative uh, social in- innovations which came out of their Christian commitments. And, um, you know, wouldn't it be lovely to see Christian business owners and and entrepreneurs and others pioneering not just great new businesses, but also ways of demonstrating Christian thinking in the way that they encourage women to, in some ways, have the best of both worlds. I mean, I, I hesitate about that terminology, but it's... it's probably it's, not possible, but... It's fulfilling, fulfilling everything that God has given us. You know, God has given us such extraordinary potential so many yeah. different areas of our lives, how can we fulfil them?
1: And what concerns me more, I think, than the particular ethics of one woman choosing to freeze her eggs is more about how egg freezing has become presented in cultures. You know, So we mentioned earlier about how it's increasingly common for some big tech companies in the States to offer egg freezing as a kind of perk, as part of your health benefits with your employment package. And this is often framed as this is about female empowerment. And this is because we're like a feminist led company, which I'm sure some of that is genuine and is often driven by kind of female executives. But but if in truth, the reason or part of the reasons why employers want, businesses want to offer this is because they know that if women are, freeze their eggs, they're more likely not to step off the career ladder. They're more likely to, to, to stay engaged, plugged in, fully productive, hardworking employees. And so it actually benefits fundamentally the bottom line. Uh, and I think that is a disappointing response to the issue. As you say, what would be lovely would be to see businesses taking the lead and saying, here's how we're, cr- we're recreating our business culture and practices. Here's how we're changing our recruitment and our promotion and our HR so that women feel genuinely liberated to choose the right time for them, irrespective uh, of, of what people around them are doing to have families. But they're not. They're saying, we'll just... throw in egg freezing onto the health plan that's a good way of solving that problem and and i think that's i have almost more concerns about that and about some of the ways that the clinics market and explain the treatment we haven't talked about often the misleading or absent statistics about success rates that are shared with women when they choose to egg freeze Um, i have more concerns about some of the ethics of that maybe than i do about is the act itself problematic
2: yeah. And again, a theme that we come back to repeatedly is that uh, technology provides an apparent technological fix for a problem which is not primarily technological. I mean, it's, it's a problem which is, again, have we talked about before, oh, it's biological, it's social, it's philosophical, it's uh, spiritual. Political, but it, it's spiritual.
1: One thing we haven't really touched on, I think, kind of the last piece of the puzzle of this,
2: is, is the separate
1: question of: Is it ethical for these fertility clinics to offer egg freezing when they are aware both that most women will never return to actually use their eggs, and even the ones that do, the success rates are shockingly quite low? And I think separate from the ethics of the, of the procedure itself, or how it's marketed, and how it works in society, simpler question of: Is this kind of misselling? To, to offer an expensive treatment that's worth, you know, can cost up of ten thousand pounds when, when the data that we have suggested it probably doesn't work and most women won't come return to use it.
2: Yeah, and uh, it is interesting that a number of studies have suggested that actually, not only are those women who want to use their eggs may then discover that it, it doesn't work for some reason that they, that it's unsuccessful the stored eggs uh don't always uh work but also um in in one study less than one in ten of women who had frozen their eggs actually returned to use their eggs and apparently the main reason for not using the stored eggs was that women's were still single and didn't want to become a single parent um yeah. you know they hadn't found a partner yes they've got eggs stored but actually you know i don't want to become a single parent so i'm not going to use those eggs
1: yeah. I mean, astonishingly, the most common age in the UK to freeze, to freeze eggs is 38. Um, so at that point, you know, it, it's one thing if you're freezing eggs at 25, intending to reimplant them at 35, because your your success rates are going to be much higher. But the truth is the vast majority of women who freeze are doing this because they have spent their 20s and 30s trying to find the right man. Haven't yet, and are starting to worry, are starting to panic that it might not happen in time, and so they freeze at a time when it's still possible but increasingly difficult. And so, when you then come to to thaw, you know, uh, you know what what many clinics often are vague about is the fact that actually some eggs just don't thaw, and so when they when they unfrozen, they're completely unsuitable, unviable. And then of, of those eggs that you can reimplant again, as we discussed in IVF, like there is a vast range of reasons why uh, it may not progress onto a successful pregnancy and a live birth. Um, you know, in, in some, uh, there's this very hard to find data because egg freezing is, is new. And um, obviously women take, often take a long time to kind of come back and return. But some, some of the limited studies that have been done suggest that there can sometimes only be an 18% birth rate you know i less than one in five women who come back and manage to successfully thaw eggs and reimplant them um actually manage to carry that through to a child and so you know this is a slightly tongue-in-cheek comparison and maybe it's inappropriate for the subject but sometimes this makes me feel a little bit like cryogenics You know this, this, this kind of spurious pseudoscience that some companies offer, saying when you die we'll freeze your body or maybe just your brain, because in the future scientists will advance and we'll be able to uh, unthaw you and bring you back to life, and you'll live again forever. And and in truth, this is a this is a sham. This is these are charlatans fleecing kind of gullible, naive, um, uh, elderly people. and in, in truth, many of them won't even bother to won't even be able to sustain the freezing for thirty fifty 100, 200 years, let alone um the science never really becoming impossible now clearly it's not the same thing because egg freezing is a genuine viable scientifically valid technique, and women do some women do come back and and thaw their eggs and successfully have children through it but there are there are overlaps in that this is a a company hyper intensely selling on people's anxieties and their fears and their often lack of understanding of scientific knowledge um saying free do this freeze this and in 10 years you'll be able to do this when they know full well that most women won't return at all so it's just free money and even women that do return many of them won't be able through no fault of their own to 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 to, to, to take these eggs into children does does that does that seem like just fundamentally unethical business practice
2: well again it's desperately complex isn't it i mean the argument is look we are just responding to women's um desires they, these are you know we didn't invent this this was this there is a a genuine desire and, and so i think it's a bit too easy to say this is just greedy scientists you know snake oil merchants providing sham promises but what i do feel deeply troubled about and this is something again you see with IVF that IVF for infertile couples often elderly couples older couples with all kinds of medical problems IVF seems to offer this kind of mirage this promise that just the next cycle might just possibly be successful and I could have a child and if IVF didn't exist although it would be desperately painful the couple was much more likely to accept their infertility and then possibly look at some other possibilities, adopting children or something else. Whereas because the technology exists, it actually prevents a kind of psychological uh, coming to terms, a kind of acceptance. It, it, it prevents or delays uh, accepting my State in life because just possibly, uh, technology might provide a solution. So it's 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 fascinating, isn't it? How how the the existence of this technology impacts on our own human emotions and concerns and longings.
1: And I think in closing, there is something particular about the age we live in. This you know what's sometimes called a kind of second or third industrial revolution. This kind of white hot acceleration of computing power and technologies and our ability to manipulate with the very building blocks of life itself that my generation in particular, but also, you know, people who are older, like you, like you we we have come to kind of presume or expect that there will be solutions to these problems. Mm. And I think Mm. that makes us really poorly suited to live with the, the difficult gray, muddy reality of life which all human beings have had to exist when since the fall that you know things are imperfect and they don't always work the way they should and and I think part of Christian maturity is is holding that tension between saying you know this is how the world is and I have to learn to live with it while not letting go of the hope and the expectation and the nagging question that says but it shouldn't be like this you know we don't want to become kind of stoical nihilists who just say everything is always rubbish and always will be we want to hold on to the hope that God is going to make things better and that it is terrible it's terrible that people are infertile and can't have children it's terrible um that people long for children but haven't yet found the right partner or you know the right man to have those children with but I think we have to learn as human beings as created beings to 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 let go and to acknowledge and accept some of our limitations and our finitude as we said in many podcasts before and i think our technological era that has produced things like egg freezing and various other treatments makes it harder and harder for christians to develop that discipline and that virtue of kind of uh you know what paul would say kind of contentment in all circumstances even in difficult times a contentment and a trust and reliance that ultimately everything is going to be okay because there is a sovereign creator
2: Wise words, Tim. Yep. Desire and contentment. There's a there's um it and it's and it's putting it's having our desires rightly ordered. That's um a sort of Augustine's uh framework, and, and increasingly I see the wonderful wisdom of that. Yes, desires are God given uh but they should be rightly ordered, ordered according to the creation order that God has given.
1: Hmm. Well, let's end it there. We've talked for a long time on this. Um, we'd be really interested in in any of your thoughts um, if if you've been listening to this and you've you're considering freezing your eggs or you have frozen your eggs. We'd we'd love to hear your experience and your perspective on this. We're, as we said, we're we're not claiming to be offering any kind of definitive answers we're just kind of exploring some of the ethical questions that arise um but yeah please do get in touch you can email molad m-o-l-a-d at premiere.org.uk you can find me on twitter at ts wyatt um, um, but on anything else as well, if you found an interesting new development, a new story or a sound up element that you'd like us to respond to, please do send those in. We, um, and any other questions or, or, or suggestions you might have, we're really interested in your feedback. Um, and there's lots more resources as always um, on lots of medical ethics issues like the ones we've been discussing on dad's website. That's johnwyatt.com. Go in there. There's lots of videos and talks and, and things to read, links to all his books. Um, and we'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, Bye-bye.